Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today, we are back in our new study. We're back in the book of James. Jesus' half-brother. Jesus' uh, half-brother James is writing to the people about the common things in life. And as um, Paul was talking about faith being the root of salvation, James is talking about being the, the, the works of, being the fruit of salvation. Just like there's a strong plant growing with strong roots, the roots are your faith, but it's the fruit on top of the soil that's the fruit of the salvation. James was known as old camel knees because he spent so much time in prayer. But James is talking about things that that test your faith. And as we said last time, faith, we can think of it as the the different parts of the letters uh we need to James is talking about needing to have a, a forward fatherly focus a fatherly focus that we want to consider it we want to consider things that happen to us all joy and that is from the father the father gives us these um uh, trials and tribulations that that come from him but they're, they're things that are designed to train His children. So we want to have this fatherly focus to understand the, the purpose of the trials that go on in our life. We have to be active in our attitude. In other words, we have to approach trials and things with joy. We have to understand that um, it is designed to... Uh, bring change in us. And uh, God never uh, tries to um, uh, grow and discipline children that He doesn't love. So we have to understand that the, our attitude when we go through things has to be joy. And it has to be active because God's expecting and hoping that we are going to change to be more like Him. And we have to be able to ask for wisdom right in the middle of a trial or a tribulation or some type of trouble because it says in verse 5, let him ask. Uh, and that means to pray. So God's, God's telling us to get through 
trials and tribulations. He wants us to pray to him and ask for him. So that's the FDA. The I is it's an inevitable invitation to to into trial. It's not if you're going to have things happen, but it's when you're going to have to undergo trials and things like that. So when we have our faith tested, it's because when we walk with Jesus Christ, we are walking against the grain of this world. And to be more like our Father in heaven, we have to we have to draw near to Him, and we have to become more like Him. And that's what various trials and tests will do. And that's the T in faith, tests and trials. He says there's going to be all kinds of tests and trials, various kinds of tests and trials. Even starting from the little things, it's going to go to the big things. And then the H is for uh, His holy humility. That's why we're being tested, is to become more like Him. A holy humility. We need to be humble. The, the, the lowly brother, he can boast in his exaltation because God is going to put him in a, a low place so that he can exalt him. And then the brother who's wealthy or doing has riches, he should boast in his humiliation because God has put him in a higher place to show through his life what it's going to be like when things start leaving you. Your possessions start leaving you. And so you can boast in your in your wealth or you can boast in your lowly, humble position. Either way, God's in control. Now, James shifts his focus, though, because he's been talking about trials and temptations, but he draws a big distinction. And we, we kind of backtrack uh, for our perspective on the trials and, and the in the. Uh, the tests and the trials, but now he's talking about the temptations, and he makes an he makes a point that God doesn't give you those temptations like he's giving you tests and trials. He's saying temptation is a different deal, and because God never tests good with evil, because God doesn't have evil in him. The presence of evil is nowhere near God. And so he's really making a, a point here as we're looking towards our our heavenly harvest here, our the harvest that we get when we uh, draw closer and become more and more like God and we have our heavenly Father's focus. He's saying, but on the other hand, be careful because temptation's out there too. And he says, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So that's our reading for today. And so um, we're kind of honing in on this like we have been the last couple of days. But it's real important when we say there's sin in your life, it's not God's fault. If there's sin in your life, in your 
in your mind, or if there's sin in your life in your heart, or if there's sin in your life in your hands, when you put what's in your heart and in your mind into full action, that sin is fully grown because it's being carried out. You're having, you can have sin in your heart and sin in your mind. That's like when sin gets born. Okay? It, you know, when the desire is there, the desire in your heart, or maybe the desire in your mind, that's sin. That's sin. You have what's in your heart start, start it off. And then when sin is conceived, when this desire is conceived, gives birth to sin. And then when it is fully grown, brings forth to death. So when this desire in your mind and in your heart gets conceived, it gets birth to sin. So God's saying you can, you know, if you are um, thinking evil thoughts in your heart, well, that's sin just like as if you did it yourself. So it gets conceived in your in your heart and in your mind. And then when you actually start carrying it out, you know, it, it gets birth. It's like it, it's, it gets conceived, like a baby gets conceived in your heart and your mind. And then when it gets, con, when it, when it gets born, it's like you're, you're actually uh, carrying it out. And then when it's fully grown, when it, when it grows up, it brings death. It brings your death and maybe death to others. So James is, is sort of saying, look, you know, I've just been telling you fellas about, or you people, about trials and tests and trials and all kind of trouble that comes in your life. Now, that kind of stuff, tests and trials, you got to consider that pure joy because that's coming from the Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father is trying to make you more like Him. And then He's expecting you to ask Him for wisdom on how to handle stuff. But then James is saying, look now, let me tell you something. Sin, temptation, is not coming from God. Tests and trials, coming from God. Sin, where is that coming from? And McGee says, it's not coming from Satan. It's coming from you. It's coming from the sin in you. It's coming from the nature, your human nature in you. And that's probably why we need tests and trials to draw us closer to God and to keep us from drawing closer to our own nature. What's inside you and what's inside me, we're rotten to the core. Inside. So inside each one of us is probably stinky, rotten sin, right? And I I just think, I wonder, that's probably why the Holy Spirit has to come inside us. And the Holy Spirit knows it's not a very nice place. It's a stinky, rotten, sinning place inside us. But that's where the Holy Spirit chooses to live. Now you go over to the see some of these beautiful churches, you know, the Sistine Chapel, or you know some of these some of these churches over in Europe. You see these beautiful cathedrals and all this stuff, and it sort of comes to mind that my goodness gracious, what a magnificent you know holy place. 
But then you think to yourself, where's the Holy Spirit choose to live when we believe in Him? He chooses not to live in the stone buildings. He chooses to live in the hearts of the people that are going into the stone buildings or the beautiful buildings. So God's not, God's not there per se. That's not His house. His house is in our hearts. You know, and His temple is a stinky, smelly place inside our human hearts. But that's His dwelling place. That gives us our perfection and completeness and holiness as Christians because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ now resides in us so that in God's eyes we're we're holy. We can be holy and uprighteous. But God knows that inside our hearts is a stinky smelling center place. And He's got to draw us away from ourselves and draw us closer to Him. That's why we should consider it joy when God gives us trials and tests of various kinds. Consider it all joy. Why? Because you've got a Father in Heaven who still loves us despite the fact that we've got this stinky smelling sin Full heart and mind inside. He still wants to draw us to Him. He still wants us to ask Him for wisdom as we go through these things so that we can get God's wisdom, not our wisdom. We can have God's focus, not our focus. We can have God's perspective, not our perspective. And when we start having... God's perspective and we start looking at life through God's glasses, not our eyesight. Then we start understanding that these little temporary tests and trials are there to help us see God's nature, to help us draw close to Him. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So, God does not test good with evil. God is using things that are around us to draw Him, to draw us to Him. But we have to be careful about temptation. That's different than His trials. The temptation occurs when we give in to the desires of the stinky, smelling sinners inside our hearts and minds that we are. And we have to understand that not for a minute that we're these wonderful new people. We're there because we're these wonderful new people because of the presence of Jesus Christ in our hearts and minds. And if we take for a second our eyes off the Holy Spirit inside our hearts and minds where these stinky smelling sinners. So this is where sin can occur. And James is telling them, when you get tempted, you don't blame it on God. God's not there to tempt you. God can't tempt you. God is pure good. God doesn't have any evil. And God doesn't use evil as a weapon God doesn't use evil as an instrument because God's not evil at all. When you get tempted to do something 
That's because you're, you've got sin inside you. And James says, you've got to focus on, on God. You've got to focus on His nature rather than your nature. And that nature inside you has got to be put to death. You've got to change. That's your job. You've got to change. And as it said back in James chapter 1 and verse 4, let the steadfastness have its full effect so you may be perfect and complete. Now, how can you be perfect when we just said you're a stinking smelling sinner inside you? Well, you get to be complete when you draw closer and closer to Him. When your faith grows and your faith is tested by various trials and tests that God puts in your life to make you changed, to make you closer to Him, to give you the wisdom and the nature to put sin down in your heart. But you've got to go through life depending on Him, depending on His, His Holy Spirit inside you. That's what he's saying. And um, so I think this is a really, really important, vital part of this passage. We've talked about tests. We've talked about trials. But the variation on this is temptation. Tests and trials are from God. Temptation is from you. Temptation starts off with the desire in your heart. What makes you tempted? Is it greed? Is it lust? Is it money? Is it power? Is it prestige? Is it popularity? So many things we make idols of. And remember, and McGee says, remember God does not use things like this to work in your life. He doesn't use sin to work in your life. That's in your life. you got to get rid of that sin. God didn't put it there. It's there in, because of your nature. Back in Hosea chapter 14 verse 8, remember at the very end, Oh Ephraim, what have I done? Oh Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I'm like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. God's telling the nation, the upper kingdom, he calls Ephraim like a, like a child. He calls him out. What do I have to do with idols? I don't have anything to do with the things that you're chasing after, with the idols in your life. Maybe it's the lust in your life, the sin, the greed, whatever. What do I have to do with those kind of idols? He's saying, Ephraim, like you're a child and you don't even understand. It is I who answer and look after you like a little child. Who do you think answers you? It's me. And you don't even know it's me answering you. I'm like an evergreen cypress. That's a tree that grows in the middle of the dead of winter. But you can see the green. That's an amazing tree, isn't it? 
From me comes your fruit. Ephraim, you didn't understand like a little child. I was the one that was there caring for you. I was the one that was there lifting you up when you were falling down. I answer your prayers. I look after you. From me comes your blessing, comes your fruit, comes your food, and you don't even acknowledge me. You're chasing after idols. You're chasing after the lust in your heart. I don't have anything to do with that. Verse 9, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. Who are the wise? Well, James says, if any of you ask wisdom, let him ask. God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. He's going to be given generously without judgment. God's saying you got to pray your way through it if you want to be wise. you got to understand. you got to be discerning. The ways of the Lord are right. So, I hope this gives more insight on the differences between the tests and the trials that everybody's going to get and the temptations that we get that come from ourselves. So, for me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your heart centered on Christ, and we'll continue our study tomorrow of this really, really practical book of James. Now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great, and I can't wait to hear what you've got to say on this. God bless you all, and we'll see you next time. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from James chapter 1, beginning at verse 13, all the way to verse 15. So um, I'm going to read scripture, and it reads from verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust. My translation says desire and entices. Verse 15. Then when lust or desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death so here as we have seen god um tests his own so god does not test unbelievers god tests his own people and james makes it clear that god never tests man with evil and sin so here we find um it's the verb the action it's not the noun that's used it's um it's the verb that's tempted um that's actually used so here it says let no one say he is tempted. You know, that action, tempted um, um, and not temptation. So the natural thing for a man to do is to blame God for every wrong thing, um, for all the faults and failures. And even, um, you know, from the beginning, you know, the fall from grace of Adam and Eve, they blame God. So, um, you know, greed, selfishness and uh, of mankind, this is uh, what causes uh, you know, things like floods and earthquakes and things like that. But obviously, you know, it's natural to just blame God. You know, all the calamities that we're going through, um, disasters, natural disasters, it's just normal to blame God. But we're forgetting it's our own doing. It's our own greed. It's our own selfishness. You know, people build um, 
you know, people want to build mansions and, and, and you know, skyscrapers in, in areas that are earthquake prone. And, you know, when there's an earthquake and, and, um, and, and you know, uh, uh, part of the building falls on, the, on their loved ones, they blame God. You know, they'll say, you know, why? Why did God do this? Or they build their buildings too close to the river. And when the river gets flooded, you know, we say uh, we are having floods, but that's where the river actually runs. You know, they tend to blame God for, you know, something that they actually did, something that they actually um, did themselves. So, and that's the natural order of things. That's the natural thing. That's what man just does. So it's the greed of man that causes him to build where he's not supposed to build. And God has given a warning on this type of thing. And man has not paid any attention because man is just greedy and blinded by greed and blinded by, you know, the acquiring of so many things, blinded by covetousness. So, you know, you have earthquake prone areas. And you still have people living in these areas because they say, oh, hey, this is a nice area. I want to still live in this area. They don't want to move. Or they've heard warnings like, okay, this particular area, you know, is prone to these and these natural disasters. You know, they want to stay by the shore, by the, you know, ocean side and have a beautiful view and stuff like that. And, you know, when they're hit by tsunamis and, you know, cyclones and all these things, they still blame God. So, um, you know, God cannot be tempted with evil. There is no evil in God at all. God is all pure and, and, and good and he's full of light. He's all light. You know, he's right and, um, you know, he's full of goodness. So uh, if we look at uh, 1 John 1 verse 5, it reads, um, This is a message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God is light. You know, there is no evil in God whatsoever god is light and in him there is no darkness at all so jesus christ could not sin and we have this in the book of matthew uh 4 verse 7 let me just turn to the book of matthew 4 verse 7 it reads jesus said to him it is written again you shall not tempt the lord your god so here you know um jesus christ the lord jesus christ could not sin and god wants um, to save us from sin and does not want us and does not want to actually tempt us. He wants to save us. So, you know, let's not go out there and say, you know, I was tempted by God. No, God wants to actually save us. So God does not use evil to tempt us or sin. So he wants to deliver us and he never uses sin as a test, but he will permit it, but he doesn't use it at all. And Jesus Christ had no sin in him. So the prince of this world cometh uh founded nothing in him so he has no evil whatsoever in him he only has goodness and light so the question is why was he tempted you know that's what a lot of people would ask, actually ask and yeah and uh, it's a natural thing to do so he was tempted to prove that there was nothing or no sin in him after he lived a life of 32 years and satan came here to tempt him so a temptation that appeals to a man's total personality, that's physical, mental, spiritual side of man. So God, Jesus Christ, was tempted by Satan, but he was tempted to actually prove that there was no sin in him. So Jesus Christ could not fall, and the testing was given to demonstrate that he could not fall because if he could, then our salvation is in doubt because the minute he yields to sin, then you and I, you know, 
have no savior. And it was to prove that he could not yield. And even today, you know, when anything is made, it passes through a quality test. Like, how good is it? Is it how, how is this going to work? And it, it, it's not that they're, te they're testing it because um, they wanted to fail. They're testing it to prove that it can actually work. If, you know, they make like an airplane, they have to test, fly it. You know, they have to do all these tests to actually prove that it can actually work. So Jesus Christ was tested to prove that you and I have a savior and he could not sin. So God can't be tempted with sin and God won't tempt you with sin. God won't tempt you and me with sin at all, but he permits it. You know, um, you know, like in the instance of David in 2 Samuel 24, verse 1. Let me just turn there. 2 Samuel 24, <clears throat> verse 1, it reads, Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. So here, this was sinful. You know, one will say God did then tempt David with evil. And one would, um, you know, but one would read, um, you, know, you know, like one would have to read the full story in the Bible. You can't just read one, 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 um, one verse or one, one paragraph and, and, and come to that conclusion. So in 1 Samuel, um, you know, we have man's viewpoint of it, right? Uh, and from this man's viewpoint, he looked, it looked as if God was angry with Israel and he just had David do this. You know, um, he had David, um, that's in 1 Samuel, just read that again. It says, again, the anger of the Lord was around, it was against Israel and he moved David against them. So it's man's viewpoint, like, you know, he moved David against Israel. So um, it looks, uh, you know, from this viewpoint, it looked as if God was angry with Israel. And he just had David do this, you know, moving on them. But in First Chronicles 2, 21, verse 1, let me just turn there. First, that's First Chronicles. Okay, let's go to First Chronicles. Okay, just a second. Um, so First Chronicles twenty-one verse one. Um, First Chronicles twenty-two twenty-one verse one. It says, "Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel." So now here um, is God's viewpoint. So Satan was the one who did it, and God merely permitted it. So God permitted it. David. Uh, God permitted David to actually do it because of his anger against Israel and their sin. But God never tempts man with evil. He never does that. God never tempts man with evil. So who is then responsible for our, you know, propensity to evil? So what causes us to actually sin? Verse 14 of uh, James chapter 1 reads, But each one is tempted when he is drawn by his own lust and enticed. So here we're talking about the sins of the flesh here and who is responsible when you are drawn away to do evil or you yield to evil temptations, not God, not even the devil. You and I, we are responsible. So it's, it, it is our sin, it, sorry, it's in our own skin. That's where the problem is. Every man, just as we all have, you know, a different fingerprint, each one of us has a different moral nature. So all of us have something different from the other, you know, our own peculiar peculiarity, peculiar, yeah, 
peculiar, peculiarity, whatever. Okay, yeah. So one person may be tempted to drink. You know, we all have our own different, you know, where it takes us. Um, you know, our own different, like, quirk. Um, so one person may be tempted to drink. Another person may be tempted to overeat. Another person may be tempted to into adultery. So the problem is always within the individual. So no outside thing or influence can make uh, a sin. Um, it comes from within. So, you know, the outside thing, can't. It's, it just comes, it's in us. So it comes from within. And the trouble is inside of us with the old nature that we actually have. So things, you know, within themselves is not bad, but it's how they are made use of that is a problem. So if we turn to the book of Proverbs 23, verse 7, um, it reads, for he, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says, and you, eat, eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. So it comes from within, from the heart. So the solicitation of sin must have a corresponding response from within. So scripture says, here says, from your own lust, from your own desire. So it's an uncontrolled longing and we are drawn away. So Jesus Christ said, I will draw all men unto me. So God will not force anyone as, you know, we saw in the book of Hosea. He will only use the band of love. Um, to win us by his grace and love. So evil is attractive today. And you can be, you know, enticed by it today. So verse 14 here, when the desire of the soul, having conceived, gives birth to sin, and the sin having been completed, brings forth death. So here we have the conception. So conception is the joining and union of two things. So the desire of the soul gets joined to the outside temptation. So there's temptation outside. And then the desire, that inward desire, you know, gets joined um, with that temptation. That's when sin begins. And sin begins in the heart and moves out to the action. So scripture says, if you're angry with your brother, you already have committed murder. And, you know, it's temptation. So is temptation sin? No, it's not. When it's when the conception takes place, you know, that joining together, it takes place when the thought in the heart is carried out into action. That's when sin. So sin is the consummation of the act inwardly and outwardly. And it comes because we have that kind of nature because we have that, you know, we have that evil thought. Um, we have that shadow. Um, and, and it, it comes out and we have, you know, that kind of nature. So it brings forth, you know, finally death. So that's physical uh, death. Because, uh, uh, you know, like physical death. Look at, like, you know, alcoholics. It has its own explanation, you know. Um, what happens afterwards? You know, physical death has its, you know, its self-explanation. Explanatory. And um, it will bring spiritual and eternal death. So... The habitual sinner doesn't have, you know, that line of communication with God. So here, like scripture says, mm, let, uh, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So God cannot tempt. And, um, but each one is tempted by that, that own desire. And um, here it says, then when the desire is, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And, um, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So when that sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. It brings separation from God and eventually it brings forth death. So it will bring spiritual and eternal death. And, you know, that habitual sinner, you know, just loses that line of communication with God. So, yeah, this is like today's teaching. Very powerful teaching. Um, and, you know, I hope you all enjoyed it. And I hope you all have a great Monday. God bless and bye-bye.